0: The summer and think, I haven't been to church in like three months. Do not say I can't go back now. Okay, then come back, okay. We we understand you got to get out and hike and fish and camp, and hunters will be hunting in the fall. So we understand you got to get out and enjoy nature. We always love it when you're here. We understand and miss you when you're gone, but in September, Come back, okay. That's that. That that's our summer uh, uh, announcement. So, part thirty-nine of this uh, lesson series, looking at the story of the Bible. We started back in August with creation, and then the fall, and this great, the first prophecy in the entire Bible. God saying to the serpent, "I am going to send the rescuer. I'm going to send a descendant of the woman's." And you will hurt him when you strike his heel, but in so doing, he will crush your head. And then we watched as the Old Testament set up the coming of the Rescuer and sort of showed us what he would do and what he would be like and 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 the heart of God. And then we get to the, the Gospels where the Rescuer has arrived and he lives out his life. And then on the cross, we saw the great rescue accomplished. With the resurrection, we saw it guaranteed or, or sort of verified that, you know, look, he's he's alive. It was just a, a, a strike to the heel. It wasn't a death blow. And then we looked at this strange 40-day period where Jesus sticks around after his resurrection. Well, today we are to the ascension. And I used to always think, well, what is the ascension? You know, I mean, it, it just... I don't know if you remember the, the TV show, The Jeffersons. I always thought the ascension was like that. He's just a moving on up, right, to the sky. And, and that it was just a change of address for Jesus. But what I've learned over the years is, no, it's a whole lot more than that. It is a whole lot more than that. It is a detonation of everything that he came to do, that he could only do when he was physically present, sort of, That now, because of the ascension, that all of those roles, all of those things that he came to do, they are detonated not just globally, but cosmically and universally and dimensionally, if you want to look at it that way, in every way that you could possibly imagine. And after, and well, during and after the, the Last Supper, John records this. This long set of Jesus' teaching, actually the longest continuous set of Jesus' teachings that there is in the entire Bible is found in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And in John chapter 16, he's not he doesn't just talk about his impending death, he also talks about what will happen later. And in John 16 verse 7, he says, it's best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the Spirit won't come. But if I do go away, then I will send him you. Now, they didn't understand that. They didn't understand what that meant. We still are trying to wrap our brains around exactly what it means that the Spirit has come and because of that, well, because of that, things like this that Jesus said actually can be true. Right before he gets brought up, taken up into heaven, ascends to his throne, right before that, he says this in Matthew 28, verse 18, he says this to to his disciples. He says, I've been given all authority. In heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I don't know about you, I spend a lot of time looking at the stories in the Bible and wondering, what must that have looked like? I mean, what well, you know, because the, the, the gospel writers, they just kind of like, you know, yeah, he fed 5,000 people and that's just men, you know, probably more like 15,000 when you add in the women and the children that were there, 15,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. What must that have looked like, right? And I wondered the same thing with the Ascension. What must this have looked like? One of my favorite things about the Bible movies that they make is these different producers and directors' ideas of what it might have looked like. And the better that special effects get, the more impressive (laughs) these different uh, possibilities become. Let's watch this. Or if it was just sort of like, you know, have you ever let go of a balloon? And you're watching it, and you're watching it, and you're watching it. And then you're like, I can't see it anymore. And somebody goes, there it is. And you're like, okay, yeah, that. was it like that? We don't know. We have no idea, right? I liked um, the movie Risen. I don't know if you've seen that. It's uh, about the centurion who carries out the execution of Jesus. And then when all of a sudden the rumors start flying that the tomb is empty, and indeed the tomb is empty, he's put in charge as sort of the detective to try to find the, find Jesus and he does, but it's not a dead body like he expects, and he's kind of blown away. Anyway, a great movie, but at the when when they show the ascension there, it's kind of neat because Jesus walks towards that light. He turns around and looks one final time and then steps into that, that bright light, and all of a sudden, it's like there's this boom, this wind just sort of almost knocks him down. And I like that picture because it's sort of like this picture of a detonation, which is exactly what the ascension does for for what Jesus came to do and who he came to be. It detonates it globally. It makes it possible for him to say the words, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. St. Augustine, who was one of the ancient church fathers, he wrote, probably his writings have impacted Christianity as much or more as anybody that didn't actually write the Bible. And he wasn't just a great philosopher and theologian and thinker. He, was a, he loved Jesus. He, he didn't grow up in church. He grew up as a pagan, and there was a day where, that came where he just fell in love with Jesus. And so he decided he needed to really know who this guy was. And he wanted, I guess what he would do when he would read the stories, especially in the Gospels is he would insert himself into the story, standing there with Matthew and John and Peter and all them. And when he pictured what it must have been like at the ascension, he wrote this. This is one of the coolest things I have ever read. He said, As we watched Jesus taken up into heaven before our very eyes, we turned crushed and frightened and alone, only to find he was in our very hearts. And that's what the ascension does. It detonates Jesus's presence, not just on this earth, but throughout this, the the, the galaxies, the universe, the cosmos, the, the dimensions, everywhere that a human being could possibly go, Jesus is there too. And we'll see this more and more as we go throughout the three different roles that Jesus plays. But Mark puts it this way in Mark 16, verse 19. It says, when the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. The ascension was an ascension to his throne. The throne, capital T on the and throne. All right, maybe even uppercase the whole thing. He doesn't just ascend to the throne of Israel or the throne of earth. This is the throne. And so what does that ascension do? What does that mean for us? Well, there were three roles that Jesus came to perform, fulfill, whatever you want to call it. When he came to this earth and each one of those three roles, when he was here, he could perform them locally, right? For whoever he was with at the moment. But when he ascends, all three of those roles are detonated cosmically and it changes everything for us for the world for him so what are these three roles well the first one is Jesus as prophet now prophet is kind of a strange concept right we when we when we think about prophet in modern times we think of you know wild eyed big beards flowing robes you know the end is near right and Jesus does come, and as a prophet, he does foretell the future, but most of what he does is show us how God wants us to live, right? He does it with his words. He tells us how God wants us to live. But more than that, he shows us with his actions what life is supposed to look like. And that's what he's constantly telling people. And when he calls his disciples in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he says to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Not I'll tell you how. I will show you what this looks like. And he spends three and a half years with those people, showing them. And they're constantly failing. And he's constantly so patient with them. Okay, get up. Let's try that again. No, that's not the way we're going to do it. They're like, Lord, that, that town doesn't want to see us. Should we call down fire from heaven? He's like, No. You know, it's like all of these things that they're constantly saying to him. And he's like, no. But he doesn't say, no, you got it wrong, so that's it. No, he's like, no, let me show you. And when he ascends, that ability to guide his people detonates and and makes it possible for him to say, I will be with you always, to the end of the age and to the ends of the earth, no matter where you go, no matter when you go. There he is in our very hearts. Now, it takes time to learn how to listen clearly to his voice, right? There are lots of voices that are speaking into your life that want to tell you what you should do, how you should behave, what you should think, all of these different things, right? And they are not all the voice of Jesus, you need to learn how to differentiate his voice from all of the others. But once you do that, it'll get to where he can guide you from right in here. But the way that you do that, we've, we've done lessons before here where we talk about how can I know I'm actually hearing from God? And there are all these filters that you put any message through. And the first one is the Bible. Does this agree? Does this does this go along with what he said for three and a half years with what Matthew Mark, Luke and John say this is who he was and how he lived and how he told us we should live. So now let us tell you because if it doesn't, if it goes against whatever is said there then you can be pretty sure it's not him speaking to me. but if it's if it goes along with that, that's why reading these books are so important. If you ever decide, I'm going to start reading the Bible. Do not start in the Old Testament. You will be in deep water. Quicksand is what it'll be like. You'll be like, what is going on here? Start with with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go back then and read Matthew again and Luke again and Mark and John. And just keep doing that until you get to know Jesus. Because he says himself that the reason that he comes to this earth is so that he can show us who God is, how he wants us to live, And how God would handle the Old Testament scriptures, which is not always the way that we would think, reading the Old Testament scriptures. It constantly mystified the people of Israel. They were like, this isn't right. They bring a woman in John chapter 8 who's just been caught in the very act of adultery. She's guilty. She, according to the Old Testament, should be stoned to death. They bring her and they drop her before Jesus. They say, what do we do? And he finds the path of mercy even through the law. You're like, that's weird. I thought it's God's law. Didn't he? he said to do what. What is going on here? It's like it turns out that when you put people into the midst of that, it just complicates things. And Jesus always finds mercy. He always finds grace, even as he brings justice into into play. And so, you know, that's that's the first thing I love. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, this is from the message paraphrase, so it's it's worded a little strangely, but I love the way that he says this here. He says, watch what God does, then you do it, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him. Learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us but to give everything of himself himself to us. Love like that. I love that. You know, one of the songs that I play for you a lot here uh, is by Sidewalk Prophets, which you're starting to probably get. Ed likes this group. You know, this this is a group, because we listened to another one during communion from them, the whole, you know, will you help me find your will, which is only possible because of the ascension. But one of the songs we listen to is called, I Want to Live Like That, talking about Jesus. You know, I want What will people say of me when I'm gone? Was I love when no one else would show up? Was I Jesus to the least of us? Did I live like your love was true? Then the whole point of that song is to say, I want to live like that. Well, what Paul is saying here is, in order to live like that, you've got to love like that. And that's one of the things that Jesus comes to do, to show us what this life is supposed to look like. You want to know what your life is supposed to look like? You look to your prophet, your shepherd, your teacher. Those are all basically the same thing. Read the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, and because of that, I have everything I need. And then you start seeing what this shepherd, which is basically for a sheep, what a prophet is for a human, the shepherd makes sure that that the sheep lie down when they're supposed to, that they get up when they're supposed to, that they go the right direction, that they stay away from the dangerous spots, that when they do end up going through the dangerous spots, the shepherd is right there with them. And that the shepherd is preparing a place for the sheep, that one day when we, when we have our own sort of little mini ascension, the shepherd is there through, through every bit of it. That's the first role that Jesus comes to fulfill, and the first role that is detonated at the ascension. The second role is Jesus as priest, because see, here's the problem, <laughs> at least it is in my life, maybe you've noticed this in your own life. Even when I want to do what Jesus wants me to do, I'm not always successful at that. I blow it a lot. I fall down a lot. And thank God that the gospels show just how how ridiculous the disciples could be. Because I look at that and I'm like, that I can identify with, That that I get. So what happens when the shepherd tells us, this is how you should live, and I fail? Well, there's this second role, Jesus as the priest. And in the Old Testament, a priest was a go-between, an intermediary between the people and God. The temple, it turns out, was a perfect representation, physically speaking, I guess not perfect, but it was a representation, physically speaking, of the way things are in heaven. And the temple was separated People couldn't even get inside the temple. They could only get so close, normal people. Any priest could go inside the first chamber of the temple, which was called the holy place, but there was a big curtain, a big veil that separated this other, the second chamber that they called the most holy place. Only the high priest could go in there, and only once a year. But when Jesus dies, that veil in the temple is ripped from top to bottom. The gospel writers are very clear. They they make sure that you know. It was ripped from top to bottom. I always thought, that's weird. Why did they do that? I think they want to make sure we know who did the ripping, right? (laughs) This wasn't a human thing. Oh, yeah, I'm going in there. No, God says, well, and then the book of Hebrews sort of explains the whole thing. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, the Bible says, so then. Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, which was the, the throne was inside of the most holy place. Turns out the most holy place was the very throne room of God in heaven. And because of that, because of Jesus, it says we can come boldly now to the throne of, of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most love that. Grace to help us when we need it the most. That's the role of the priest, right? If you read through the Old Testament, the people didn't like the prophets very much because the prophets were always like, you're going the wrong way. You need to go a different direction, right? I mean, they were. nobody wants to be told, hey, you're doing it wrong, <laughs> right? Nobody likes that. The priest would always bring mercy, would always bring grace, and, and people loved the priest's. Jesus fulfills both of those roles. When we're going the wrong direction, yeah, he will correct us. But immediately then, he also brings us right into the throne room of God where we will receive mercy and the grace we need when we need it the most. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, John puts it like this. He says, if we are living in the light, in other words, if we're walking with the shepherd, if that's our goal, not perfectly, but if that's our goal, if we are... Our, following in his footsteps, then if we're walking in that light, as God is in that light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, that word, which is actually a phrase in English, cleanses us from all sin, is an interesting word in the original language. It's this strange verb that means it's an ongoing and continual process. If you were gonna read this literally for what it literally says in in the Greek language, it would say, the blood of Jesus, his son, continually and perpetually cleanses us from all sin. It's like, what's he trying to say there? Because he could have just said, cleanses us from all sin, right? It just sort of like, it happens, you know, as we sin, then, you know, it's like, but he wants, he's making a point here, I think. i thought what what does that look like what does that mean that he's perpetually continually cleansing us from all sin i remember watching the karate kid one time the old one right and i don't know if you remember the costume that daniel wears to the costume party but it was like he was dressed as a shower go i think i got a picture yeah it's a bad picture i don't know if you can tell but it's like he's wearing the shower curtain and there's this shower head that's sort of hanging around him and everywhere he walks the shower head is over the top of him. And it's like just tinsel coming down, but it's supposed to signify he's taking a shower everywhere he goes. And that's the picture that I think John is trying to give us. If we're in that light, then when is it that the forgiveness happens? Is it when we think to go, oh Lord, forgive me for that. But what happens if We stub our toe on the side of the road and say a word that maybe we shouldn't say as we fall into the road, and then boom, a bus runs over us before we get a chance to be like, "Oh Lord, forgive me for that." (laughs) I used to would have thought, "Well, you're just out of luck because you didn't ask for forgiveness before you fell," you know, before that bus just splattered you, right? But John's trying to give us a different picture. He's saying you can. You can relax. It doesn't mean you don't have to ask for forgiveness. It doesn't mean that you don't have to confess, but you can relax because we've got this priest who came and paid the price that we could never pay to pay a debt that we could never pay so that we could share in this reward that rightfully belongs only to him. So you've got Jesus as prophet who tells us where to go. You've got Jesus the priest who, when we mess up, is there to forgive us. And to pick us up and to dust us off and say, let's try that again. But then number three, you've got this third uh, role that Jesus performs, and that is Jesus as king. Now, what exactly does a king do? Especially a king that is also a priest, that is also a shepherd. How What does that even look like? And it turns out, trying to figure out what a king does is sometimes extremely confusing. religion into it, and it just makes things even more confusing. And you look at Jesus, you're like, okay, he's the king, he's the priest, the high priest, and he's the shepherd. And he's even more than that. But these are the three main ones that you see throughout the Bible. And the book of Acts, which we're going to start next week, looking at the, the the birth of the church, and then sort of the early history of of what, what, what does the great rescue look like now? What is my part in the great rescue? That base, basically focuses on Jesus as the prophet. The book of Hebrews focuses in on Jesus as the priest, and the book of Ephesians focuses in on Jesus as the king. And this is one of the things that Paul says in Ephesians about the king. It says, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. You just—you could spend all week just thinking about that one passage of scripture and thinking, what does that even mean? And... Without getting into too much detail, what it means is Jesus is now not just the king of Israel, not just the king of the world, the king of everything. But see, the great thing about him is he's not like a lot of kings that just take advantage of that power, right? And he won't force you to do things the way that he wants you to. He invites, he guides, he leads as a shepherd, If you fail, he picks you up and forgives you and dusts you off like as a priest would. And as a king, he makes sure that justice is done. Now, it's kind of fascinating because when John says in 1 John 1 verse 7, if we're living in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, continually and perpetually cleanses us from all sin. That's the priestly side, right? Mercy, grace. But in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, John goes on and says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, confession and repentance are incredibly important. But what's fascinating to me is how John says, if we do that, he is faithful and Not faithful and merciful, which he is, but that's not what John's trying to point to here in this verse. Not faithful and graceful, which he is, but that's not what John, he says faithful and just. He's saying it's justice that God forgives us when Jesus, our high priest, brings us before his throne and says, I want you to give him mercy, but beyond that, Jesus, our king, says, you need to give this person justice. Why is it the why is it justice that we be forgiven if we confess our sins? Doesn't it seems like mercy, yeah, that I get. Grace, yeah, that I get. Why justice? Well, it's sort of like double jeopardy, right? Not the game show, but the 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 constitutional protection that theoretically exists in the United States where the same person can't be tried for the same crime twice. This is sort of like that, except more along the lines of Two people can't be punished for the same sin. And what Jesus, as King, does says is he comes before God and he says, "Forgive Ed who just blew it again, not because, it, not just because it's the merciful thing to do, and not just because it's the, the graceful thing to do, but because I've already paid the penalty for what he did, and it, it's not justice to penal to punish this two people for the same." everything you've ever done, everything you ever will. Now you've got to contact that forgiveness, right? You've, you've, you've got to get on that. I'm going to follow the leader. You got to walk in the light as he is in the light, but he's not looking for perfection. I mean, obviously he would love that, right? But he knows, he knows us. He's looking for people who are willing to get, to get on that path with him to walk in the light when we fall, to accept his help back up, to accept his mercy, to accept his grace when we need it the most. And when we do that, justice, the king makes sure that justice is served in that we don't, we're not punished for the sin that he has already paid the penalty for. Now we could go on, there's more scriptures in your lesson sheet, but we've, we, we need to stop there and that's enough. Jesus as our prophet, our shepherd, our guide, our leader, Jesus as our priest when we mess up, and Jesus as the king making sure that justice is done, all because his father, you know, it's not like God is like, well, all right, I'll forgive him, but I don't want that's not the way, I mean, they, they, you, you'll spend all day thinking about the Trinity too, that it's like Jesus is coming to himself in a way and saying, forgive Ed, because he blew it, and it's like, what exactly does that all mean? What it means is you can relax and that with the ascension that it has detonated all three of these roles so that as we, as we watch Jesus taken up from among us and we turn away afraid that we are going to be alone, we find him in our very hearts to guide us into the life that he designed us to live, to forgive us when we fall far short of that and to pick us up and dust us off and ensure that justice is done as the king who will take us to where we need to be and to make sure that everything is set right in the end. And that's his promise. And so what's our response? That song that we listen to during communion. If there's a road I should walk, help me find it. If I need to be still, give me peace for the moment. Whatever your will, whatever your will, can you help me find it? You listen to that song by Sidewalk Prophets. Help me find it. You listen to that song this week and you think about how much of that is talking about Jesus as our prophet. How much of it is talking about Jesus as our priest. And how much of it is talking about Jesus as our king. The ascension wrapped up, at least our response to the ascension, wrapped up in one song. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that Jesus doesn't just come to tell us how to live and to punish us when we fall short, but that he came, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, so that he could share with us the reward that belongs rightfully only to him. So Lord, help us, if there's somewhere you want us to go, help us to see and find it, whatever it is, whatever your will, help us find it. In Jesus' name we pray. Only a God like You Would be worthy of my praise and all my hope and faith. To only a King of all kings do I bow my knee and sing and give my everything. To only my Maker, my Father, my Savior. Redeemer, restorer, the rewarder, to only a God like you do I give my praise. God bless you. Have a great week.